Welcome to the Hunt Gather Talk podcast. This is my friend and fellow chef, hunter, angler, forager, getter of good stuff, and cooker of good stuff, Randy King from Idaho. He is the author of the book Chef in the Wild, which is available wherever fine books are sold, but Amazon may be your easiest bet if you do not live in Idaho. Randy, welcome to the show, and you and I are going to talk about rabbits today. Uh, it is a topic near and dear to both our hearts. Absolutely. And thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the the book plug and, and just being here. Yeah, rabbits are um, where a lot of people that I know kind of start, you know, hunting. And uh, maybe it's that kind of trying to still feel like a kid thing, but I still love to to go out and chase after them. It's, it's just a blast. And then you get this great meat from it, too, that people, I think, underappreciate. So I'm really excited to uh, chat with you today about it. It may be true that both of us actually began hunting rabbits, and, and I'll add squirrels to that pocket as well. But did you start with rabbits as a little kid, or did you start with something else? Yeah, it was definitely rabbits. Uh, I grew up next to a Brahma bull ranch out in a small town in Idaho. And uh, across the road, we had like concrete slag from old ditches. And in there lived a uh, group of rabbits that got chased frequently. And so the first rabbit that I ever remember getting, I got with a slingshot when I was like seven years old. And I was thrilled. So you had to wait till the bulls were on the uh, other side of the field. Otherwise, they'd kind of try to chase you down. And so you'd go over there with your slingshot in the morning before school or, you know, in the summer when you were really bored and go chase down the rabbit. So eventually slingshots moved to bows and then bows moved into, you know, BB guns and um, rabbits just were were what was available and usually didn't have the restrictive seasons like the ducks and stuff did that were that were near where I grew up. Like so, you're talking literally a slingshot. Literally a slingshot. So my dad, we had a. Uh, I didn't know what kind of tree it was at the time, but it was a uh, ornamental plum in the front yard, and he found a wide branch. Uh, cut that branch down, went to the you know store, got some leather out of the garage, and made a slingshot for me. And I thought it was a cool advancement when you know they bought me one when I was little that had like that arm guard and the wrist rocket thing that you wrist rocket. Yeah, yeah he shot. He used to shoot wrist rockets. So when that wrist rocket thing got to me, that was like you know things needed to fear me at that point. Um, but yeah, full on slingshot. <laughs> I mean, is it all right? I wanted to, a side note. Is it true that basically all you know, boys from the age of like ten to sixteen are just horrible. Like, like I, I can't, t- I can't tell you how many times I've had like perfectly normal, responsible people. Like, yeah, so like the first thing I shot, like when I got my BB gun, is I killed a robin or something like that. You know, and uh-huh. it's just what is it? There's something weirdly Lord of the Flies. I mean, about young boys just exploring their ability to do stuff. It's just it's an odd. There's, so many people have that story, whether they lived in a rural area or a suburban area or even an urban area. Yeah, I think um, being the father of three boys um, that are between five and 13, I know exactly what that is. It's you, you look at them and they've almost got this like they don't quite grasp the value of life yet. They think that they're invincible. And they've got something that is powerful in their hands. So it's like this trifecta of cluster that can lead to, you know, terrible things and poor choices. <laughs> so that Man, it, I mean, I, I like the I like the usual uh, remedy for it is is ver- the second half of that story typically, and I've heard it I don't know how many dozens of times across the country is, yep. And then dad or mom, you know, insert parental unit here. Then they made me eat it. And <laughs> like these stories of like, yep, dining on rats, robins, you know, sparrows, random God's creatures. And it's a pretty good cure uh, to make the kid cook and eat it him or herself. And it's usually a boy. Um, I, I know one girl who went through that phase. It's almost all boys. Mm-hmm. Uh, magpie. If you want to get specific for me. There you go. We had a chair. Pinto, fe- Pinto pheasant. <laughs> right. We had a we had a cherry tree in the back, uh, and so when they'd start falling off, if we didn't pick them, they'd land in the backyard, and I went out and I, I stuck one with my bow, and that was, you know, rabbits, of course you're going to eat, but my dad, um, you know, I mean, he was like, <laughs> you're going to eat that. It was a good, it was a good time, learning experience for me. <laughs> it's just, I think I the, <laughs> with the statute of limitations passed, right? It's been like 25, 30 years. Well, speaking of that, like uh, two or three years ago, a robin beamed itself against one of our plate glass windows 
And I'm thinking, oh, sweet. I can finally taste Robin's on toast. Because <laughs> this used to be like a big deal meal in the 1800s. And, you know, apparently J.P. Morgan, the financier, was that was his favorite breakfast was Robin's on toast. And which which seems like I'd like to have unicorn puppies, you know, and <laughs> it just seems awful now. But but so here was a, finally a chance to eat it legally. And of course, it wasn't dead. And uh, so I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at it like a cat would look at it, and Holly's looking at it like, oh, it could survive, and it survived and flew off. So ah. I still have yet to eat a robin. Nice. Someday, someday a dumb one will fly into another window, and I'll get my chance. But you know, the sparrow, the sparrow is one I haven't ever, haven't ever decided that you know it was time to just shoot one down and eat yet. I know that they've got the invasive ones, and then there's the the regular ones, and I know I can't tell the difference usually in flight. I've never bothered to to learn that, but I know as far as invasives go, that's like you know that Jackson Landers guy did that whole thing about it, you know, kill and eat them all because they're terrible basically. But uh, you, you kind of need to, to trap them because you can't. It's it's a highly illegal to kill the native ones. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, mm, not going to bother with it right now. <laughs> yeah, me neither. So back to rabbits. Right, yeah. So I actually started with rabbits as well, too. I started not as a kid, but I started hunting in Minnesota when I was 32, so fairly late in life. And I don't know why I wanted to start with rabbits and squirrels. I think it was it felt foundational to me that I had to earn a buck, so to speak, or earn a, or earn a turkey or earn, you know, waterfowl was beyond me at that point because the the startup cost was just so dramatic that I just I, I needed to know that I wanted to hunt before I got into the, the gear involved with something bigger. And I, the first well, the first thing I ever shot was uh, a squirrel, and it was in a Minnesota woodlot in zero degrees, <laughs> with something on the order of a you know a foot or a foot and a half of snow. And in that same woodlot, though, when I shot my I'll never forget my first rabbit. It was uh, it was the same woodlot and it was down south of St. Paul in Minnesota and it was cold it was super cold i mean about 0 degrees and i was all bundled it was that, it was that quiet that that very few people understand that quiet can be a din in your ears like a hunter does mm-hmm. you know that that especially in snow where everything is quiet there's no wind there's nothing and all you can hear is your heart beating and it was one of those days, and I was standing with my back to a tree, and I was watching for rabbits because, you know, it's the snow. You get rabbits travel on little highways, and we'll, we'll get to rabbit habits pretty quick. Uh, say that four times fast. And I just, I finally heard, and there was this cottontail, you know, one of those big northern cottontails. Kind of, it knew I was there, and it was kind of slinking in and slinking in. What had happened was I had busted it out of its bramble thicket right when I got there. And you know how rabbits will circle? Mm-hmm. And this is was this was him coming back. And there was this – I'll never forget the moment that I saw him at the same time that he saw me. And there was absolutely a look of, oh, shit, on his face. <laughs> and it was just – it was absolute – oh, dude, you totally got me. And, you know, I didn't miss, and that was her, that was my first ever rabbit meal. And, I mean, I've, I've been hooked ever since. But I went down to Arizona, you know, I was five days ago trying to find a javelina. And, honest, I had more fun trying to find rabbits because <laughs> I was down there. You know, there was the, the big old um, jackrabbits. I think they're still just blacktails. And, mm. uh how far south were you? We weren't in the Sonoran. I, I did the I did the geographical test. We weren't quite there. Uh, okay, we were, so you, they weren't actually jackalopes. They were not. I was so mad when they when I found out that they weren't. I had to get to like a high peak to get service, and I, I looked it up on my phone because um, I was like, "Come on, jackalopes!" Because then it would have been on. We, um, but no, then the cottontails down there, and they're just there's something that as as a commitment. Um, for me, when I when I was a working as a chef in restaurants, rabbit hunting always held a special place because I could do it before I went to work. Right, I could just leave it, you know, seven in the morning, and still make it for you know dinner service. Get there at noon and still set up for dinner service. So, so for me, rabbit hunting's always had this really special. It's a low commitment, just like you were saying, thing, and you know, success rates are usually pretty high. Uh, it, it's just got a lot of a lot of good things going for it. So. But, and they're easy to clean too. Yeah, they're like 
they're disturbingly easy at some points. <laughs> <laughs> like you're like you feel bad, like it should have been tougher to do what you just did. So how about your ki- you know your kids and you know one of the things that I hear a lot is that new hunters, whether they're adults or or kids, they they're they're too quick to get into big game and they're too quick to get into you know turkeys and bucks and and even elk and stuff at a very young age and i and i think that is a function of the fact that there are so many turkeys and, and deer around now but the woodsmanship skills that you learn when you're hunting small game are invaluable and i had that as a very you know in my crash course when i was in my 30s but i've seen it you know writ large with pretty much you talk to anybody who's got a little moss on their back and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, my dad wouldn't let me hunt anything bigger than a, a squirrel or a rabbit till I was 12 or 14 or 18 sometimes. And I think it's just different now. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. So Idaho just recently changed the law from being 12 to 10 to big game hunt, right? Um, and so my 12-year-old didn't get a go until he, you know, obviously got to that age, which was, you know, last year. So last year was his first year to ever go deer hunting or anything like that. Before that, he had never, he had always been small game, you know, turkeys in Oregon and just, just the, the smaller things, maybe a duck or something like that, anything, um, that his license would cover, but not big game. And then so now in Idaho, it's 10 for big game. And so last year, instead of taking my 10-year-old out after, you know, rabbits, he went and got an antelope, right? And got his first buck. And so at 10, I wasn't even thinking about it. I don't even think I got a big game animal until I was 14. But I think it's that patrilineal descent. Dad wants to go big game hunting because, you know, I've shot a lot of rabbits. And so that that period where it's available and they're open instead of, instead of spending that doing that, I'm I'm out hauling, you know, three kids in the back trying to sneak up on a herd of antelope, which in itself is kind of fun. <laughs> but but yeah, I, I definitely agree. There's a difference now culturally on on when big game is available to start. And I, I'm not saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. But I know my kids all started on small game way before they can go to big game, either in the backpack, you know, with me or just hauling around behind me. I remember my oldest having a uh, squirt gun that he would walk behind in the sagebrush with me while I was out rabbit hunting. So, But to attract him? Like, oh, water! <laughs> right? No, to, to participate, you know? Um, I remember... I, I've I, hunted that. I've, I've hunted that jackrabbit field with you. It's kind of... And I was reading your book, and there's a, you have that chapter on the chasing jackrabbits, and I'm like, I, I, was, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> he was angry one time because I saw one, a cottontail, and so you go out and you hunt, and, you know, jackrabbits are where I'm from, are kind of the... the the easier of the prey usually. And so the cottontails are the prize though, right? You get a cottontail or two and it's been a good day. You know, you get three or four jackrabbits and it's a day. And so there's a cottontail on the side of the road and I just screeched off, grabbed my 16 gauge, popped out, jumped off the road and shot him. And my oldest one was crying in the back seat because I didn't unbuckle him so he could be there with me hunting. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, man, I have 20 feet from the car. Uh, There'll be more kid. You'll be fine. But one of the one of the coolest things I've ever seen though is, is brothers, you know, kind of that competitive thing. And so one's got a four ten and the other one's got a little twenty gauge, right? And I'm holding on to my back scruff of my dog's neck and I watch him go up this little valley. There's a jackrabbit that's just holding really, really tight. And going up and watching one of them, it has got the angle on it, the other one's got the view on it. And to watch the older one take the younger one's rabbit, you know, kind of in air quotes, and the younger one all mad that his big brother shot the rabbit out from underneath of him. There's something in a dad's heart that you're like, that's brotherly competitive love and hate at the same time, and thank you both for letting me watch. I thought you were going to say they're going to act like velociraptors as a team. <laughs> oh, yeah, hunted in a pack. But that, that'll come later, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, they start spreading. They naturally start spreading out and pushing and... So speaking of, I, I, mm-hmm. oh, just uh, tactics. Um, yep. That's a, a great, a great segment. Just I, was, to, to, to. I was just about to say, you know, I think one of the things is where it's where it's it's funny. Maybe 20 years ago, we wouldn't have to talk about rabbit tactics. And, and uh, but now there are so many people who are picking it up for largely culinary reasons, because, you know, let's face it, rabbits taste good. They're like, how do we get these things? Because they're there and they're not there all at the same time. Mm-hmm. I, I think the. The pause is the thing that gets more rabbits in trouble than anything else. So it's having a good dog, right? If if, if you have a good dog, that's going to solve a lot of problems. The beagles, you know, a good Labrador with its nose down will usually help. But if you don't have one of those and you want to do it kind of low commitment, it's too many people just start busting through brush and they never actually take that moment to stop. 
Because when you stop, that's when that rabbit gets nervous. Because you can walk two feet away from a jackrabbit or a cottontail and it'll hold. But if you stop for three seconds, right, just a, just a couple heartbeats, they'll get that nervous twitch. Remember Bambi where that grouse couldn't hold? Um, and the hunters got it. That same thing happens. I know that's a terrible reference, but, um, it certainly gets the point across because that's when they bolt. And that's when you, when you see them, you're going to get that actionable shot, um, off on them. They usually only run up 20 yards or so. And then it's, it's perfect. I was taught to walk through the forest arrhythmically. Okay. Step, 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 stop, step, stop, step, 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 stop. And it's, it's sort of the same thing because you are making these these stops in and, in and among, and you never really know. And it also allows you to readjust yourself. And it's funny because rabbit hunting, you can do it in every single state, although I don't know about Hawaii, certainly the lower 48 in, in Canada and in Alaska, and it's different everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. I find that the single largest indicator of whether or not there's a lot of cottontails is a pile of junk. <laughs> <laughs> they absolutely love junk and old buildings and you know stuff that you just debris i've never seen so many rabbits as in you know that that disused part of a farm where you know you've been on farms where there's like everybody's got their junk graveyard mm-hmm. that's almost always where all the cottontails have decided to create a warren underneath uh, the farmer that i live next to tore up a tore up a ditch and just piled all the concrete somewhere and that's where i got my first one out of i mean it's yeah. it's exactly right my dad's stepfather had a uh, 40 acre junk lot and we'd go out there, you know, and we'd be, it sounds dangerous, but as teenagers, I mean, the cottontails would be running under cars and stuff like that. And we're just not caring because it's literally a junk pile. But then you got to start worrying about it when they're running under actual real tractors and into wheel wells and, you know, the stuff that'll shoot you back. Yeah, I was going to say, it kind of also depends on what you're shooting too. <laughs> right. You know, and then in the forest, you're looking for brush piles, brambles. You're looking for cover. Right. And for me, my style of cottontail hunting is, well, you got to know where they are, more or less. And you have to be extraordinarily quick with a shotgun because I hunt them right at shoot time till about a half an hour after shoot time. So that one hour around the half an hour before dawn and half an hour after dawn. And they'll be out. If you see them before they see you, you get that split second and you can, you can hit them. If you can't, they're back in the brambles and you're done. And it's I've been pretty successful in my little spots there. And in, they're usually along the rivers, you know, kind of riverine habitat with a lot of brambles. And that and then the, the aforementioned junk piles where, where you get a chance to hunt big old farms. Right. I, I get most of mine out of uh, riparian areas on the cottontail end of it. So what we're usually hunting kind of in packs, right? So we'll send a couple of guys with the dogs down the middle of it. And then a couple of guys with the longer guns. So the two dudes in the middle have the shotguns. You know, I'm usually carrying my 16 or um, something like that. And then another guy. And then the guys along the edges usually have their 22s um, for a little bit longer distance because you're pushing rabbits. The guys down in the middle are pushing rabbits. They're not even seeing. And then you guys got the guys along the edge that are kind of holding, you know, and, and keeping track of the rabbits that are up in front, maybe getting pushed out to the sides, heading out into the sage, stuff like that. But the riparian areas are typically where we're finding most of our our cottontails up here and then when i'm going solo i'll hunt the rocks a lot we get lots of good cliff faces and stuff like that dug out from the snake river and uh get up into those rock piles in the middle of winter right after a nice dusting of snow and it's and the the tracking is amazing and you can just go in and, and you're looking for uh eyeballs more than you're looking for bodies it's a weird a weird thing you got to adjust your eyes to it's because if you're trying to look for the silhouette of a rabbit stuck in a sagebrush you're probably never lots of luck <laughs> yeah exactly it's the same color the same everything but uh, a black eyeball sticks out no matter what you do so yeah i mean and snow is a good point too because i mean obviously they, i don't have that luxury here in northern california but when i did in in montana and in, in minnesota and it's just because rabbits are deep creatures of habit I mean, they make little rabbit highways mm -hmm. and you can almost, you know, this is what I did with that first rabbit is you can almost just find them, sit next to them and they'll come by eventually if you can, if you can wait them out, mm -hmm. I mean, especially cottontails. Yeah. I'm not sure that I would want to do that with a jackrabbit though. So I had a jackrabbit run a complete circle around me a couple weeks ago. Well, I, did you really? Yeah. And I was like, really? This guy's it's actually did the circle. Like, I know they'll circle around. They'll kind of just take a hard left or something, and, and, and it's kind of a big, wide circle. But this thing did about a 100-yard circle all the way around me while I was bow hunting the other day. It was, it was great. 
so the snow has to be fresh, though. I want to make that a concern because one rabbit in two-day-old snow, it looks like that thing has – there's a million of them because <laughs> it's got this just like – like you said, the creature's a habit. So they'll wear down these paths and you're like, man, this place is overran with rabbits and you go hunt it and there's nothing there. It's just one rabbit making that same track over and over <laughs> and over again, man. It's, you, you get all excited for not. The you know and the the thing about rabbit uh, cottontails is that they are a and I'm not actually sure I bet you it's not this I was th- I was about to say that they are a major uh, example of Bergman's law where the farther north you get the bigger the bunny is but it may be, it may be just different species of it I know that there are several species of cottontail rabbit in the United States and they range I mean I know the one that we have in California is the desert rabbit and it's tiny. I mean, it's the, the our Western gray squirrels are significantly heavier than our cottontails. Wow. And that's not the case in places like Minnesota or Montana and probably not in Idaho either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get the – I forget the, the exact name of it, but our cottontail can be relatively large. I mean, they're not – snowshoe sized but they're you know they're a good sized rabbit i the ones the desert ones that i saw down in arizona were significantly smaller than the rabbits that we we have in idaho for sure and then, but i mean you know the ones in texas though you know my cousin's lease are are roughly the same size so it's so it's a i think there's just different regional subspecies there are and i know in in areas like missouri arkansas you know, Louisiana, places around there, there's a marsh rabbit, which is very big. And marsh marsh rabbits are snowshoe hair-sized. And, you know, the guys will do special hunts just to go look for marsh rabbits because I think they, they range up to three pounds, which is a pretty big bunny. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and then there's, you know, I've always wanted to, I don't know, have you ever done this? I've always wanted to go to like New Hampshire or Vermont or Maine and chase snowshoe hares uh, behind dogs. I have not, I have not done that. That's that's on the list. It's this, there's snowshoes here, but it's not this. I think it's the same kind, but it's not the same environment or because it's not the woodlotty sort of areas. So the snowshoes in Idaho are disappearing underneath, you know, you know, pines, and they're just so few and far between comparatively um, that we've just never had that opportunity. I've only ever got a handful of snowshoe hares where I'm at. So that is, it's the same here in California. I mean, they exist and I've tried to find a biologist to tell me, Oh, you don't want to go to this mountain or this area there because they're all in the very high Sierra. Mm-hmm. And if I could find a, an area where it was worth getting out of my truck, I really want to hunt snowshoe hares on snowshoes. <laughs> Cause that's the only way you're going to hunt them in the Sierra Nevada. Cause they're, they, they're 6,000 plus feet. Right. And, they're up there. I mean, I've seen tracks. I've just never seen the actual rabbit. Right. Yeah. The uh, the last one I got, so it was snow all over the ground and then underneath in a uh, big, deep part of the forest, it had melted a little bit in a, a November deer hunt and sticking out of the top of a, uh, a stump was a hunk of white. And I was like, there shouldn't be any snow here. And so I got a little bit closer and glassed it, and sure enough, it was a black eyeball on a hunk of white. That's the only reason I caught him, you know, and he wouldn't move. I got within, you know, 10 feet of him, and I was like, how am I going to do this without, you know, just utterly destroying him? Because I, you know, standing there with a 243. <laughs> well, I don't know about your problem, but I've shot several cottontails with a 270. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, he got shot. Let's not let's not make any bones about it. Um uh, you, have, his, you have to you have to clip that clip the just the top of their heads off. Yep, yep. I, I got them. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> it was it was. I freaked. <laughs> I freaked out Holly once on a pig hunt, and like we had been hunting all day long, and there were no pigs, no pigs, no pigs. And she went over a rise to go look for pigs, and again, it was a bunch of junk in the middle of nothing. <laughs> it was it was this cottontail sitting next to a bunch of junk, and like I'm eating something. So, worked. Not the ideal caliber, but you know, yeah, hey. exactly, exactly. So yeah, that he met a he met a timely demise. He didn't feel a thing. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> jackrabbits are a whole different story, though. I mean, jackrabbits uh, are all almost always a creature of wide open spaces. I mean, uh, you know, white white jacks will get into some slightly thicker stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, snowshoes are are creatures of the forest, and cottontails can be tr- creatures of the forest, but. I don't know any jacks that don't like open areas. Right, right. I think that it's it's they need their escape mechanism isn't hiding, it's running. 
So they need that to be able to succeed and to be able to, you know, get away from predators. It's so they're the confined spaces literally takes away everything that they need to stay alive. So you rarely ever see them in anywhere that they can't get out of quickly and maintain a decent speed. Ed. So that's why when we hunt, we also we're doing those brambles, but also you're trying to get those rabbits that are those jackrabbits at the same time as those cottontails, those two guys on the outside. And we're talking about that four man push. Um, that's what they're hunting just as much as they're hunting those cottontails is any straight jackrabbits that are coming down into that riparian area that are trying to feed on the greens that are in the, uh, and down there along the bottom and then are able to squirt out the sides. So they're fun. Jackrabbits to me are, are, are one of the most fun creatures because when they're sparse, it makes it a difficult hunt, which is kind of a unique thing for a rabbit when they're abundant though, then you can kind of limit yourself on, on the weapon choice. So we'll do everything from, you know, long bows to muzzle loaders to, you know, single shots or something like that. And, and then it, it then it becomes a process where you're making it more difficult for yourself and then the rewards even more which is a lot of fun. You need to go down to southern Arizona and hunt the jackalopes. Yeah. Now, if it, now, before anybody starts, you know, thinking, oh, these guys are completely full of it, there's actually something called an antelope jackrabbit. It's a gigantic jackrabbit that lives in the Sonoran Desert. And so, yes, everybody calls them jackalopes. And no, they don't have antlers. At least none that I've found. Maybe one does, but. <laughs> they seem to all they're all there. not have antlers. <laughs> so they're giant, though. They're like if you grab one by his back feet and hold him up, his ears will hit the ground. Wow, they're big. They they can be upwards of twenty pounds. What? Yeah, <laughs> and they've got giant ears, and they don't let you get close. So you end up hunting them with either hornets, you know, seventeen, mm-hmm. or you know, two two three, or or you can shoot them with twenty twos. But with peep sights or red dot sights, because it's just you know they they do a lot of standing around mm-hmm. and they won't let you get close enough. Well, I did shoot one with a shotgun, but typically they won't let you get close enough to shotgun range, so you have to snipe them from a distance. And they're basically like, well, that stupid hairless monkey is way far away. There's no way he can get me from there. <laughs> right. Except he's wrong. <laughs> 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 and they're, you know, they're just, they're super cool. I mean, they're so big. How big are they? They're so big that you can actually cut the back straps out and cook the back straps like a tiny little deer back strap. Nice. That's awesome. It's crazy. I mean, they're probably, they're a solid, I don't know, they're like a, they're almost a, the diameter of a half dollar. Wow. Yeah. It's a big rabbit. I'm doing the you know the little thing where you're sticking your thumb and your finger and you're making a little half dollar size right now. I just did that. I just did that too. Because <laughs> I was like, no, that's a quarter, Randy. Oh, half dollar. Okay, okay. Um. The other thing is like, you know, you've been up to you've been up to caribou hunting. Did you get any Arctic hares when you were up there? I didn't see one, man. That was you know there was the the point where my dad's a big rabbit hunter too, and so he had two goals that were probably bigger than caribou. He wanted to get a parmesan with his bow. And he wanted a parmesan. You mean a ptarmigan? Ptarmigan. It's like a. a it's like D'Artagnan, right? That that uh, that uh, that venison supply place. Do you know how many times I butchered that one? Uh-huh. <laughs> I look at it. I'm like, do you are do you that says D'Artagnan? Ptarmigan. Ptarmigan. Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you. Appreciate that. Anyway, and an Arctic hare. Um, yep. And we we got feathers off a of ptarmigan, um, unfortunately, but never actually saw one of those. But those guys, what with a rock. They're like they're the dumbest birds ever. Um, yeah. <laughs> Try. We had bows. We had our bows. Um, okay. Because when when we did that one, we went up to the Hall Road, and you can't shoot your gun within five miles of the pipe, which is about five miles of the road. Um, so any hunting that you do, basically right off the road, is all bow hunting. So, mm. but but yeah, no. Had we had any sort of gun, it would have just been mass slaughter. There. <laughs> I have that same goal. Like someday I'm going to go up and caribou hunt, and it's I have the exact same thought in my head. I'm like, well, yes, I do want a caribou, but I really want to shoot the big giant bunnies and the and the dumb birds. It sounds horrible. You're like, oh, you're killing dumb birds and bunnies. <laughs> but the problem is they're super tasty. Mm-hmm. Like everybody I know who's eaten both of them loves them. Mm-hmm. And I I kind of have a thing for grouse too, and that's probably the topic of another another episode. But there's three different ptarmigan, and I've not shot any of them, and I'm, I need to rectify that at some point because I, I just want to see if there's a difference in flavor and what the environment is and all that kind of good stuff. And The Arctic hares actually is the largest um, lagomorph, to use the science term, 
in in North America, and it's it's slightly larger than the the jackalope. You know, it it makes me disappointed that they're no longer classified as rodents. That happened in like 1920 or something like that. Um, the the lagomorph became its own thing. Before that, they were rodentia. So it just doesn't have the the same thing. You know, you want I want to go shoot some that rodent over there. Or, you know, when you're you're yelling at your friends, I want to shoot that lagomorph. It's just it doesn't roll <laughs> off the tongue as well. So. If I were to petition scientists, I would say reclassify them as rodents, whether they need to be or not. It's just for my ease because I want to, you know, R-O-U-S's, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> A Princess Bride reference. Well done. You're welcome. How many? Now the question is, is how many Star Wars and or Deadpool references can I get into this? Because I'm going to go see Deadpool here in a few minutes. Uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of excited about that movie, too. Yeah, it, <laughs> I'm pulling a horrible father move and taking my 13 year old with me. Oh, it'll be great. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a bonding moment. Especially apparently because there's a really good strip club scene in it, from what I understand. And a naked fight scene. Really? Yeah, apparently Ryan Reynolds is nude, wielding, fighting Ajax at some point. Like, So it's (laughs) – I'm (laughs) – I don't know how I feel about this situation (laughs) right now, but I know it's happening. Uh, Well, you know, my mom took me to see the movie Jaws when I was like seven years old, so – not exactly the same kind of movie, but probably equally traumatic. Sure, sure. So let's move to like, okay, we got a whole bunch of rabbits in the back of the truck. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know that there's anything special to do in terms of field care with rabbits. I mean, I tend to just put them in, in my game vest, and if it's if it's hot out, I try to face them out so they don't get super hot. But I don't really see them. They're very different from squirrels, where squirrels have kind of a hide mm-hmm. and they seem to retain heat a lot better. Rabbits, they just seem to be like the easiest game ever in terms of field care. So I will counterpoint you a little bit on sure. that and mostly because of fleas and ticks. Ah, okay. So what I'll do if I'm not going to age the bunny and it's earlier in the season or a summer, you know, jackrabbit hunt or something like that. Um, a lot of times they have a lot of ticks and they have a lot of fleas. And so they're almost an immediate skin and taken care of. So I'll, I'll throw them in my game bag, but inside a trash sack. Because, you know, like you said, they're super easy to field dress. Really, it involves, you know, you can almost just use your hands. And it sounds kind of brutal, but to get that skin off, it really just peels pretty easily. You can find wherever you've shot it or something like that and just grab on both ends. And they kind of come apart almost like a banana. And then, you know, just you can twist their head, little heads off, and then you, you're sitting there. <laughs> that just sounds so wrong. It doesn't it, though, but it's exactly <laughs> what you do. I know it's... I'm reminded of that B. Kleban. He, made, he did all those cat cartoon books in the 1970s and early 80s where, like, he had that song, love to, love to eat them mousies, mousies what I love to eat, twist their little heads off and nibble on <laughs> tiny feet. <laughs> Somebody out there is going to get that reference, and for that, I thank you. Right. Well, so, so yeah, it sounds wrong, but that's what I end up doing. And so, so with the jackrabbits especially, because they, they've usually got more. Um, and then in the wintertime, what I'll do with the cottontails before I'll throw them in my vest is I'll look inside their ears. If it's cold enough up here, they usually, the fleas are gone, the ticks are gone. And, but if they, they'll usually have, if anything, running around inside their ears, little black fleas. If they do, then I'll just remove their heads and throw them in my field bag. But other than that, you're right as far as ease of care. Um you know, just get them back. And, and if they're pretty bug free, you can just lay them on a cool concrete surface. I'll leave them for like two or three days. I'll age actually my rabbits usually now um, after thinking about it for a while. But I think that they just they just have this ease about them, like you were saying, just just check them for bugs. And then you can let them just sit for a few days and kind of just the skin loosens up a little bit around them and the meat kind of relaxes. You know, you let them go through rigor before you try to eat them and, it, and they're just better. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't necessarily age them for days, but maybe two, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. a couple days. Now let's just talk about bugs because this is, a, this is a huge issue with hunting rabbits and especially jackrabbits is, is the old wives' tale about, oh, you can't eat a rabbit until the first frost. Oh, yeah, the R's. Well, they got to have an R in the month. They're like oysters, like land oysters or something. And it's like, uh, that's so total horseshit. It's like, okay, so if you're going to wait for the first frost, right, so you're never, ever – going to kill a rabbit in say arizona or california or new you know i mean Mm -hmm. really you know it's just you're high i mean it's just stupid and but there is a a grain of truth like most wife's tales and and it has to do with the fact that uh, rabbits and jackrabbits do tend to be more parasitized than other animals at least in my experience Mm -hmm. you've seen a bot fly come out of a cotton oh god i brought it up i brought it up i'm sorry 
Yeah, God. All right, so I have a couple of good brat fly stories. Um, you you call them warbles in your book, um, which I've heard that mm-hmm. in several places. But anyway, it's just so the first time I saw one, I'd never heard of a bot fly, right? So it was totally that thing that they put in Chekhov's ear in Star Trek: Wrath of Khan. <laughs> Yes. And like, there's no way in hell I'm eating this damn, this is just horrible. Oh my God. And I was like really deeply disturbed for like, and like, I thought I'd put this rabbit out of its misery because it was going to die a horrible death. Then subsequently somebody's like, you know, jerk, you just wasted that rabbit because it was just a botfly larva. And then I read about botflies and, and so I got used to them. I knew it's like, okay, they, they, they're disgusting to the nth degree, but they tend to hang out just under the skin and they don't tend to mess the meat up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So nasty horrible but not but basically harmless so they're also kind of a common western thing especially with deer hunters god is really deeply unkind to 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 mule deer and blacktails because they tend to get in their nasal cavity so i did this tv hunt with steve ranella on his show and i don't think they showed it in fact i know they didn't show it on on the actual show but i think they might have done a web extra for it so steve shoots this blacktail and he's standing over it, and they're filming, and I guess he's getting ready to, to clean the thing. And the damn botfly larva comes out of its nasal cavity, and Steve almost just about jumped out of his skin. <laughs> wow. It was like, oh! <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. That's oh. traumatic, man. That's so nasty. So nasty. Oh. Yeah, they, they, they got to treat horses and stuff out here is where where my kind of familiarity with them comes. And then I, I, I can still vividly remember the first rabbit I ever pulled one off of. It was a little cottontail I shot with a 410, you know, and, and just looking at it. And then right underneath the skin where it was, it was just a little purple mark. It was just a little bruise. That's it. The meat was just fine, you know. And like you did, I, I had the thing in the fridge for a day or two, you know, Googling what the hell was this, you know. <laughs> rabbit cancer, right. you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, that's that's just that's the easiest one. I mean, the the one that I find most common in our California rabbits, and this is why actually it's funny. I'm I'm pretty cavalier about about butchering and all that sort of thing in terms of you know obviously soap and water and you want to be clean. But the the only animals that I almost always and and, and I probably should always wear uh, nitrile gloves for rabbits, jackrabbits, and pigs, mm-hmm. and our rabbits tend well. They have two things. They have the one that you can see is they tend to get tapeworms, and the other thing that you can't see, and well, you can kind of see it if you're lucky, is tularemia. That's the, li- that's know, the liver spots, right? That's the liver spots. Yeah. yeah so it's um, you will not see a lot of rabbit liver pate recipes on my site for that reason. I just don't want to mess with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They also get um, oh man, there's something that's really bad for your dog. So I know that that's that's one of the things, you know, where if my dog goes over and licks, you know, a little bit of the duck's blood or whatever from the gut pile, you know, when I'm cleaning them, I'm not usually mad at him, right? Um, but with rabbits, that's another thing for the guys that hunt with dogs. Careful and keep your dogs out of there. They'll get – they can get some nasty, nasty um, infections. Like I just – the names it's escape tape, my mind. Isn't it a tapeworm? I think it's a dog tapeworm. Is it? I think if I, I I see I actually seem to remember reading that from your book. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's good. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so I mean, I think both of us can can uh, happily agree that you should uh, you should cook your rabbits and jackrabbits thoroughly, mm-hmm. like no rabbit sashimi. Right. Yeah. No. Well done. And and you know, I think they lend themselves to that anyway. Especially you know, um, I think something we need to talk a little bit about is the hair um, rabbit distinction. And then For how sure. to treat those two things separately. Um, but a hair, definitely well done because you're probably not going to be able to chew on it otherwise, right? Um, oh, yeah. And then, I mean, uh, although there was one case where uh, we were jackrabbit hunting and I think we had five or six of them. And there was this little puppy, little jackrabbit. And like, aha, a young one. <laughs> so it was the one and only time I fried a jackrabbit. Right on. Right on. <laughs> Just wet the milk off his lips, too. <laughs> oh, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> No, and and you know a slow roast on a on a jackrabbit, a super slow roast on them. Um, we've done some campfire jackrabbits where where literally they're strung up between barbed wire and just slow roasted with a good rub. They can get pretty tender that way too. But it's it's that that 
slow and low is that long cooking method to let those fibers kind of break themselves down. But um, yeah, like we we're saying, so there's a there's a distinction between hares and rabbits. So a cottontail is a rabbit, but a jackrabbit is a hare, which makes complete sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so I think the the best way for people to look at it is if it's got I'm kind of a red meat, white meat guy with right. it so big floppy ears usually um and red meat it's usually going to be a hair um otherwise your cottontails um or white meated rabbits um are going to be a uh, actual rabbit and there's actually some um sustained populations i know in idaho and a couple places in in oregon closer into portland of domesticated rabbits that have gone feral which sounds really? which sounds like the most delicious thing ever right <laughs> like like the best well that's interesting because um there's a, a feral population they're, they're english right? rabbits. They're of European English rabbits. I had never heard of that in the West, but I know there's one in like the Hudson Valley. British rabbits are bad news because they're the only ones that dig warrens. Our native rabbits and hares don't dig big warrens. They dig scrapes. So there's not they're not going to be in a in a network of tunnels like say a, a woodchuck or a ground squirrel will be. They'll they'll be in sort of very shallow things. But the British rabbit they will completely Swiss cheese a field to the point where it can be very dangerous, like a, like a, kind of like a prairie dog. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, taking your horse out on it or having running cows in the field or something, you're breaking legs and putting stuff down. That's you know economically valuable. That's a yeah, those are that's bad. No good. Yeah, and they and they are they're like two or three times the size of a cottontail. They're big rabbit. I mean, you've seen a domestic mm-hmm. rabbit. It's, mm-hmm. it's if you've ever bought rabbit in the store, that's what we're talking about. And that would be cool to actually find them find them wild. There's there's a little place by my house where they're they're jet black and they clearly don't live in a subdivision and they're always there and the problem is they're within city limits they're gone uh, well but but now i've talked about it on something vaguely public here you know <laughs> on your podcast it's legal it should be legal right not to just you can't just charge any firearm but it, not even an air not gun even an air gun within i mean i'm really? within city limits yeah so i've, I've got a live trap um, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I'm thinking about it, but I'm afraid I'm going to catch somebody's cat. I really, really <laughs> then let it then let it go. But here's the other thing, though. If it's the black rabbit, the you got don't mess with the black rabbit. You've you've read Watership Down, haven't you? I haven't. Tell me more. Oh, you need to read this. Especially your kids need to read it. Um, it's actually an anecdote for the the Jews' experience in World War II. But but your kids won't understand that. Um, it's a, it's a rousing tale of adventure populated by rabbits and the rabbits. Are they're looking for a new home, and there's this whole rabbit mythology, and there's a there's an evil rabbit, and it's just it's 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 well worth reading. It's it's a it's a book that really made a very deep impression on me when I was a kid. But but their their god, their you know their the god is the black rabbit, and the black rabbit in mythology, they you know the the over the creator of everything says to the black rabbit that the whole world wants to chase you, and they and they catch you, they will kill you, but first. They must catch you, and it's. I mean, that's that's a rabbit's life in a nutshell. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're food and for other animals, right? I, I. You know, cottontails are kind of the krill of the fields. You know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're. You know, it's. I, you have to read that book. It's. It's super good. Watership down. Watership down. Right. It's in the. It's in the notes on the phone now. It's happening. Yeah. I mean, it's been out for I don't know forty years too. So it's. it's sounds. Gotta, it sounds very British. Is it British? Oh yes, it's very British. Okay. Yeah. So the 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 problem with your white meat rabbit dark meat hair comes up with snowshoes. Yep, because they're the snowshoes. <laughs> yeah, they're pink. <laughs> snowshoes are truly the the liaison between the rabbit world and the hair world. And in my opinion, if I could shoot no other rabbit for the rest of my life, I would want to shoot and chase snowshoe hares. It, not the least of which is that they share the same habitat as grouse, which are maybe my favorite game of all. But snowshoes are big. They're as big as a British rabbit. At least in the in the east, they inhabit the deep forest, and they're just super cool. I mean, they're just cool, cool, cool bunnies. Mm-hmm. I have a one spot that I know of that you can't really get to in any time of year that is actually makes them huntable. But there's a significant population of them, and so it's it's this like itching desire to snowshoe a snowshoe. You know, um, it's in this place called Stanley, Idaho, and you got to go to you're um, in the Frank Church Wilderness of No Return, which is the largest wilderness area, I think, in the lower 48. At one point in time, it's 150 miles to the next road, um, just straight across. So it's it's a really perfect. Exactly. When do we start? Exactly, right. <laughs> and so but I go in there and I've gone in there looking for bears several times and I see all these 
hairs. And I'm like, okay, so September 1st, I've got to be in here. And like September 1st, it's snowing there, right? <laughs> so it's like, oh, man. Oh, I distinctly remember hunting with you on, on September 26th or something in a blizzard. <laughs> right. That seemed unfair. Yeah. For grouse, uh, which yeah, the, the, you'd finally got your mysterious blue grouse, though. So I did. I was did. trying to break that curse for you. Back to cooking rabbits. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think the general advice I give people is that if you're dealing with a cottontail, treat it as essentially a chicken thigh. If you're dealing with a jackrabbit, treat it more like venison. And, you know, not necessarily the, the good cuts of venison. Yeah, the, more like the, the phrasable cuts. cuts of it. Yeah. Although you can always separate out that back strap no matter what you do and, and serve that medium or medium rare even. Mm -hmm. On We were just talking, though, against um, this is sake, serving the back strap medium rare, more, more well done to kind of get to that medium well just for the, the killing of the bugs. And I'll take out the back straps on um, jackrabbits for sure. And then most of the time on, I like to hunt the white-tailed jackrabbits, which, which are larger and have kind of a different um, geographic spread than the black-tailed jackrabbits do. But they have, they're the northern jackrabbits. Yeah, they're, so the higher climates usually, they get beat up by the blacktails and they get outbred by the blacktails usually. So there's fewer of them, but they're kind of more of a prize and they're bigger. I'll take the whole hind legs off jackrabbits and I'll corn them. Just like, you know, you've got like the corned goose breast recipes, I think, in, in your book. Um, and mm -hmm. I'll follow something very, very similar. And then when you're done braising them, just pull out those bones and then, you know, do 12 ounces and vacuum seal it or whatever. And it's great corned beef stew for the family, you know, and made out of rabbit. And it's just got that great texture. It's not too stringy. Uh, they're just fantastic that way. Does it have any flavor difference to to corned venison or corned beef? I think once you pickle it and brine it like they're doing, you know, you can make a the worst you know, merganser tastes like <laughs> like well, corned beef, you know. All right. Report back when you do it with a merganser. Okay, I will. I haven't ever done it with a merganser. Right? <laughs> I, no, um, I have. I have, and I'm knocking on wood as we speak. Yeah. I have never shot a merganser, and I hope to never shoot a merganser. I think I've got one, and I. it was one of the ones where the wife's like, what stinks? And o Yeah, oopsie duh. Yeah. <laughs> but... What other? I mean, so braising. I think the, the the takeaway for jackrabbits of all kinds is braise them. And and you know you you know I did it on Ronella's show, and I've done it many zillions of times. And mm -hmm. and I, I think the 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 thing I hear from people is like, well, I just tried the same thing, but it was still tough. The answer is you didn't cook it long enough. Exactly, exactly. Let it go and just let it simmer. Throw it in the crock pot. I mean, it's got it's got to have time. So the other two ways that I'll I'll do them is I'll confit them, which is always ah. good because you know that that method can can make anything basically it's taste, a good point yeah taste good so that's my rock chop <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> you're reading the book lately man i appreciate it yeah. that's that's my go-to for if i don't know what it's going to be like i confit it right because that i can make and coyote taste good right um okay have you have you actually made coyote taste good? Um, no, but I've made rock chuck, fox, and cougar taste good. All right, foxes, foxes, close enough. Yeah, rock chucks—they're just—they're just marmots, you know, and and they're they're West Coast woodchucks, which we talked about a lot in in uh, a previous episode, <laughs> which was great. I was like, bring up the coffee, um, mm, marmot, right? So, but they're, they're they're the weird ones though. They're they're heavy forward. They're not like most critters that you that you get that are kind of back leg heavy. Their front legs are the heavier portion the and the meatier portion, which makes them really weird for me to try to break down because it's the same muscle groups and stuff like that, but it but it's a different setup anatomically than than what I'm really used to. So, do they have a collarbone? I don't remember. I don't think they do. I've never butchered a rock chuck. I butchered a woodchuck, but they're 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 a little different. Mm -hmm. The only, the only, this is, we're getting off on a tangent, but it's still a small game. The only game animal that I know of that I've ever worked with that has a collarbone is a squirrel. Squirrels have collarbones. They're the only ones that do. Then I would assume that a rock chuck does. If a squirrel has one, I would, I would just morphologically thinking about it, assume that it does. But I. Maybe, but the, you know, the squirrel may have the, the, the collarbone because he has to climb up and down trees all day. Right. I don't know. Uh, it's a great mystery. Right. Tangent. Squirrel. Tangent. Squirrel. <laughs> I, rabbit, I mean, that's the thing. Like, okay, so, I mean, for me, I'm always braising or, you know, yes, confit is a good one or stews. Barbacoa. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. You know, basically, the, the jackrabbit lends itself to any beef dish in Mexican cuisine because anything where you're going to cook the heck out of it and shred it. Mm -hmm. I'll give you that. Can them. 
That's something that I've done. That's right. That's right. You uh, you introduced me to pressure canned jackrabbit. <laughs> that's a fun story. So, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you get the jackrabbits. And I, you you see people pressure canning stuff, and it's just something that my family never did. We'd can, you know, peaches or, you know, make some jellies and stuff like that. But pressure canning, it always seemed like I had a bomb in my kitchen, and it just kind of terrified me, which it is. It's a pressurized Anyway, um, but I decided that I was going to take the leap, so I Craigslisted it and found a, two pressure canners that are the Victory models from 1942. Um, so they are literally wartime canners. Uh, you couldn't have bought an All-American or something? Or, uh, I mean, I, well, you know, you, you look at your investment and how much time you want to put into it, and you don't really know if you're going to do it. So I always try to go kind of the the least expensive route. So an All-American, you know, is $200, $300. I think, you know, I get that, except when it comes to a pressure can except for when it comes to making a bomb in your kitchen right i'm with yeah, you I'm you with know call me kooky but you know hey <laughs> uh, i i get you but there's there's you know i got a report to the boss at some points in time too <laughs> so she's like you did what with how much money really <laughs> 13 years of marriage there's a, that great line be more interested in peace than in justice i got two words for you <laughs> separate finances but then again you have kids so yeah. you ha- you're at a disadvantage in that respect if i try just i'd, I'd I don't know if I could. It's, it's too late now. It, it is. I'm done for it. The die is cast. Yeah. So anyway, you pressure can. Pressure can. You, you decided that you're going to pressure can some some jackrabbits. Right. What, what made you decide to do this? Um, preservation methods, really, because there there's you know I I want to be a holistic hunter, angler, gardener, cook, right? I mean to to use your stuff, you you do a great job kind of having this community, right? And I want to be an active participant in it. And I, I see things that I don't do. And so for me, that's always, you know, that intellectual mindset of, well, if I don't do it, I need to, or at least I need to experience it and become, you know, kind of more self-reliant in this in this world of prepackaged pizzas, right? So I was like, okay, I'm going to pressure can, have some shelf-stable meat and figure, figure this out. So I go get this Victory War Model thing for $25. It's got recipes for how to pressure can dandelion leaves. That's how old this is. Wow. Right? And it actually in there it has a recipe, it has the pressure canning recipe for rabbit. So I look at that and I'm like, well, that's a great guideline. Get on Google, you know, and find a up to dated one, which was only you know a couple minutes shy because I think back then they were a little bit more liberal on time, as in they didn't think it took quite as long. And now we're a little bit more afraid of what it can do, I think, and so a little bit more uh, risk adverse maybe with with our timing. So you know, you just I throw it in the pressure canner. I think it's like 12 pounds of pressure for 110 minutes. Sounds about right. And and it comes out great. You know, you just pop the lid open and you, you've got shredded jackrabbit. You know, I throw taco seasoning on this last – on that batch I, I fed to you out there chasing grouse. Um, and then I did another bigger jars recently because those little ones are great when you're by yourself. But then I, I had to feed like four of them once when we're out on an antelope hunt. And then I'm, you know, looking around. I'm like, well, I should probably just do bigger sizes now. And then I then I moved from pressure canning jackrabbits into pressure canning venison. I just pressure canned some a uh, whitefish. I caught fly fishing with my buddy the other day. So it's a really cool tool if your freezer's full and you want to just have some shelf stable stuff that you're not worried about. Pressure canning, you know, really it just adds to your uh, repertoire of being able to put up good food, which is always good. For sure. I think let's finish up with rabbits because, you know, I want to kind of finish with the with the, the premier. I mean, and, and I think when we include rabbits in this part of the discussion, we're, we're talking about snowshoes as well, because snowshoes and cottontails tend to cook similarly. Mm-hmm. And I, I wouldn't I would not necessarily lump a snowshoe hare in with a jackrabbit. And I don't think really many hunters would either, you know, because there's a stigma about jackrabbits, which we can get into in a second. But uh Rabbits for me, it's basically okay. It's you cook it like a chicken thigh, unless you got a young one, which is quite often because typically in the wild, a cottontail is not going to live much longer than a year. They're an interestingly plastic species, though. They can live up to seven or eight years in captivity, but most of them never make it past their first year, which means they're pretty much tender, tender animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you see one, it's already won the genetic lottery. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, actually, not necessarily. <laughs> Probably the oldest ones you never see. Well, sh- true, true. But I mean, even the ones the ones you do see have already probably made it past ninety percent mortality rates. Right. The parent the parenting is terrible, um, and then they're they're predated on by everything. So yeah, they're usually tender. For me, that's you know, buttermilk fried rabbits. Kind of the like, if I only have a couple rabbits and I haven't eaten rabbit in a while, I'm doing that recipe. Right. Um, I'll go with like almost like a Asian stir fry, where you're just where you're subbing in where you're subbing in the rabbit. So that one for me, where you're you know you're making that egg white, um, mm. feathering velveting. it. Yeah, velveting. 
I'm um, deep frying them that way because that those ways or a panko crust or something like that where you're taking deboning that thigh and kind of pounding it real thin and then panko frying it. I've never done that like a like kind of a rabbit cutlet almost. Uh huh. Uh huh. Um, no, the name's escaping me. A pyard or something? No, that's the that's the shape of the cut. The the name of the dish I was thinking about trying to make. Anyway, but schnitzel. It could be a schnitzel. Yeah, you just like just like caramelize a freaking orange or something after you pound it out and squares it on top. That'd be delicious. Nope, I'm not thinking of it. So we'll move on. Well, if we think of it, we'll put it in the in the notes for this episode. For sure, for sure. Sorry about that. But yeah, I think that that then you can take the back straps out. So so do you saddle a cottontail? So where by saddling I mean do you trim off the rib bones? Right. And then you're left with chunks of meat that run down the backbone instead of taking actually the back strap out like you would on a deer. Then you go down and you cut the, the backbone into several chunks along with the front legs. So do you, do you saddle it out or do you make like do you take the straps out and do those as a separate separate thing? I'll take the straps out separate on a big jack, but on everything else, I'll take two back legs, two front legs with with the uh, as much shoulder meat as I can get. Mm-hmm. Then uh, I'll use shears to remove all the ribs. I'll take those two big belly flaps, throw them in too. And then, so the ribs go into stock. And then what's left is that long, you know, essentially the back strap. The very front of it either goes into the stock or if it's a very big jackrabbit, there's some meat on it. And then you get, I typically will cut the rest of it into two pieces and uh, use shears to clip away the ribs because that is actually one of the biggest problems with eating cottontails and and squirrels are those little fiddly ribs that can get into everything and get past you and somebody's having an otherwise enjoyable meal and then they eat a a little bone and so yeah for me that's that's how i do it okay i find the other part about jackrabbits or any kind of rabbit is that size six shot stuck in them can find my way into my teeth too better six than nines that's true i i shot you know i ate a rabbit that you know, a friend of mine had shot with nines, and those are so small you can never find them. Mm-hmm. I've kind of started switching a little bit to this upland steel when I can, because a lot of it's harder to find the the pellets. It goes right, it goes right through. Yeah, so that that's something that's that that I've when I when I've got my twelve gauge, usually I'm doing that. My sixteen gauge is too old. I can't shoot steel through it without just destroying it. Um, so I'm I'm stuck shooting six out of that. But yeah, I think that that's something I've really liked about shooting steel shot at rabbits is that it it you know one you're not throwing a known toxinogen into the environment, and then two you're you know it's going right through them. Yeah, I mean I noticed that with ducks too. That's that is one advantage of steel. So the last thing I want to talk, I mean, and you know you might know you might feel this a little bit in 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 your own communities, but cottontails virtually never have any kind of stigma attached to them other than like, oh, they're so easy, even though they're not necessarily always easy. Snowshoes tend to be, you know, considered, at least in, in this country, a worthy target, mm-hmm. as it were. But jacks have this thing about them. There's a, a stigma with jacks. And I've done a little bit of research about why, but, you know, in your when you were growing up, what was the general community's thought about the idea of actually eating a jackrabbit? They're coyote food. That's what you that you're feeding the coyotes, and that sounds terrible. But you know, it wasn't until I decided I was going to challenge conventional wisdom with my cooking ability that I ate jackrabbits. So jackrabbits, when I was a kid, you'd go out and you hunted them for fun. That sounds. It's it, when I say it now, it makes me feel bad about my own actions. But I know that that's what majority of the the hunters out here, because they don't have that that ethic, that value. They're not even a game species in Idaho. They're a varmint species, which means you can shoot them ad nauseum, right? You can shoot as many as you want. Um, it's one of the only game species here that you can spotlight, right? So it's 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 definitely this interesting thing. And I think too many people just take conventional wisdom and have never actually eaten a jackrabbit. So that's that, that that's where. Um, my philosophy comes from because if you actually let me cook you one, you'll probably think they're delicious and keep them from then on, right? Totally. But otherwise, you've you've swallowed the medicine that other people have given you, which is that they're stringy, that they're tough, that they smell bad, that you know they've got bugs. They've got bugs, right? So all these other things that, that most hunters that I know, you know, my dad included, um, and that's what he passed down to me until I was like, you know, wait, time out. What am I doing here? Why am I why am I shooting this thing? I should do something with it, right? And then I haven't. I personally haven't shot and wasted a jackrabbit since. So that that for me, 
it's a point of pride now that I do it and it's a point of education on my end. And so I think that that's something if I could, you know, have a little bit of a call to action here is that if you're going to go out and you're going to shoot it, you definitely got to eat it. And on the jackrabbits, it's an education thing. Just just pick it up and try it. You know, I actually came at it similarly. I mean, you had the you decided that you're going to get the, the stones to finally cook one because, you're, you know, you're a chef. Right. And like, God damn it, I can cook this thing. And I came at it because. You know, I started hunting because I was interested in eating wild game, and jacks are one of the easier, you know, and and similarly, they're they're not a game species in California either, and so you can hunt them all year long. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I like to do a little bit of research about whatever it is that I'm chasing. The first thing I read is, oh, it's a hare. Oh, well, I make a lot of Spanish food, and I make a lot of German food, and I make a lot of Italian food. Everyone in Europe eats hares. They're highly sought after game species in Germany and Scandinavia and Great Britain, in northern Italy, in Spain, in France. I mean, there's all of these just beautiful classic dishes that require a hare. Hassenpfeffer. Hassenpfeffer requires a hassa. Right. That's a that's a hare. Hassenpfeffer is not a rabbit dish. It is a hare dish. And hare bilbao. And, you know, there's a, there's all of jugged hare. Sivet de vivre. And... All of these, you know, these dishes that are just icons mm -hmm. in European cuisine, and you need a jackrabbit to cook them, and so, like they're basically free, you know, and and so it, it's like, what's wrong with all these people? Why are they not? Why don't they get it? And the answer, the best I can tell, is the depression. During the depression, uh, things were way worse than the Great Recession of two thousand eight. And you had a whole bunch of people going out there and, and jackrabbits, to some extent, were their, their only protein. It, it kind of picked a scab that had just healed from settlement in the Midwest. In the Great Plains, there's lots of jackrabbits, both black and white. And that was their only protein for a lot of the settlers. And what would happen was jackrabbit meat lacks a particular amino acid. It's not a complete protein. So if you eat nothing but rabbit as your source of protein, you will actually get malnourished because you, you'll be deficient in – it's called rabbit sickness. It's a thing, and if you're forced to only eat that – and that's really what it boils down to. If you're forced to eat something because of poverty, you don't want to return to it, and it becomes, oh, well, that guy's so poor he eats jackrabbits. I think and I've heard that all over the country. Antelope have that same sort of stigma sometimes, I believe. And I think some of that comes from it, too. That uh, that rabbit sickness you talk about is the same sickness that you get from caribou. Um, oh, really? Yeah, it's this, that's why they the caribou get their uh, meat dunked in fat, right? It completes that nutrition. You can actually starve on carib just, just a caribou diet. Um, I'll be damned. I didn't know that. Mauled, mauled the caribou or something like that. But it's the same, same sort of thing. It's protein sickness. Your body needs fat to digest food, right? And so jackrabbits are so completely lean that they don't possess that fat. So your body is using other fat that it's receiving to help digest it. And so when it runs out, that's when you can start to starve on it is because it's it's pulling its fat away from you to help di try to digest this. And, and you're, you're literally starving to eat it. I had no idea. I knew it was bad. I had no idea how that worked. It's quicker on certain species, like with rabbits and caribou and stuff like that. But like um, the weightlifting guys, the most common cases you can get it now are the super high protein weightlifting people that eat white chicken, right? Just white meat chicken. That's their diet because they're pumping iron all I'm going to use protein. Did, did you even lift, bro? Right. <laughs> exactly. So that's those are the most common cases of uh, rabbit poisoning anymore. And it's it's a protein deficiency, like you were saying. It's because they don't have the fat to digest it. Huh. As I understand well, it, and I am no medical doctor, so there's our... Uh... Yeah, well, <laughs> we just play them on radio. That's right, that's right. <laughs> well, we've been going for quite a while, and it's been fun. We've been talking a lot about rabbits, and uh, Randy King is the chef in the wild, and your website is? Uh, www.chefrandyking.com. And Randy's got some recipes for rabbits on the site, which I will link to, and he is the author of the book Chef in the Wild. And that is available on Amazon and in other places where you can find books that are worth reading. Thanks a lot for coming out, Randy. And uh, we will absolutely chase God's creatures at some point soon. I look forward to your Buck Buck Moose book tour is what I'm looking forward to because that highlights for me, you know, when you came in for your Duck Duck Goose tour. Um, and then so this next one that 
the community around you, I'm not trying to toot your horn for you, but the community around you and, and that, that has put you up um, and, and, and looks so much forward to what you do. Thank you for doing what you do. Cause this is, you know, high quality productions, high quality materials, high quality website. Um, it elevates hunters and yeah, thank you. Well, that is hunt gather talk for this week. I am your host, Hank Shaw. As always, I really appreciate your time. And if you are so inclined, I would love it if you could subscribe to this podcast in whatever format you like or write down a review. Both of those help me a ton and they help bring listeners to this show and help make it happen. So again, thank you for listening to Hunt, Gather, Talk. I am Hank Shaw and I will talk with you next week. 